Okay, I want to uh, begin with an apology uh, for this sermon, really. Um, in an attempt to make communion uh, more meaningful, okay? Um, I'm going to talk about baking bread, and I'm going to talk about meals and banquets and good food and all that sort of stuff. And, and then at the end, we're going to give you one little tiny cracker dipped in a tiny bit of grape juice, and it's going to be anticlimactic at best for you, and I'm sorry, I apologize, the uh, pandemic continues to take away our fun, doesn't it? And I, I, I've been thinking about that, I really miss serving communion the way we did, I really miss uh, having the, the big fluffy loaves of bread and tearing off a piece of bread and putting it in your hand, and it always makes me feel so pastoral, you know, a pastoral act that I'm literally and figuratively uh, taking care of those who are given to my responsibility. And I miss that, I especially miss serving communion like that to children. You'd see a child coming up and they look grumpy, they don't look happy, and I'd take an extra big piece and rip it off and I'd put it in their hands and their eyes would get big and I'd say, here you go, kid, the bread of life. <laughs> Eat it and remember how much Jesus loves you. And they get it, okay? They get the mystery of communion. A mystery. Mystery is that thing that is real, but it's hard to articulate. It's hard to put into words. It's even hard to understand, like falling head over heels in love, right? It's real, but it's a mystery. And so is communion, Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist as it's sometimes called. I ran across a little antidote. A uh, young seminary professor went to see an older seminary professor to get some wisdom. And he asked the older guy, he says, how can I get my students to take communion more seriously? And the older uh, professor said, make, teach them how to bake bread. Teach them how to bake bread. So, why would that help? Why would baking bread help us to more deeply appreciate communion? Well, <clears throat> in an attempt to answer my own question, I've been trying to bake bread lately. Okay? And I've been doing it for several weeks. Um... Here's the book I use, Knead It, Punch It, Bake It. It's written for children, <laughs> which means I understand most of it. Uh, I've still had a couple of disasters. Um, I, I, I totally killed the yeast one time, and the bread came out hard enough to be a wheel chalk for a trailer, okay? Um, but I baked this last night, and it came out pretty good, okay? Um, you clapped. I can't believe you clapped. What, is, what does that mean? Is it, You have that low an opinion of me. Um, and uh, my grandson loved it. He ate it and ate it, okay? Um, and so it was great. It was good. Um, so, um, it helped me to realize two things, okay? Um, first of all, um, 
First, first of all, baking bread, fresh baked bread. There are few things so simple and yet so joyous all in the same package, right? I mean, bread is really quite simple when you get down to it. Uh, some oil, some flour, yeast maybe, unless you're making flatbread, salt, water maybe, butter maybe, uh, honey. I put a little honey in there. Uh, and that's about it, right? And then the aroma fills the house. I thought about getting here really early this morning and baking bread back there in the oven so you could smell it. But then I thought that would be cruel because, again, we're, you're going to get the little bitty cracker. Okay? That just wouldn't be a nice thing to do, right? The aroma fills the house. It's crusty and soft at the same time. You cut a warm slice. You put some butter on it or maybe some cream cheese or some honey or some jam. And in that exact moment, you know that in spite of everything, life is still good. It's hard to maintain a bad attitude when you're eating fresh, warm, baked bread, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good, the Bible says. I think to, to eat fresh bread is, to, to take communion is among other things, to remember that God's basic desire for your life is joy. Huh? Is to live in joy. The second thing that occurred to me is that when you bake bread, you almost always are, are baking for other people. You almost always have to share it. I mean, it does take a lot of time and work putting together the dough and kneading it and baking it and, and you know it rises and then you bake it and everything else and you don't go to all that trouble to do one little loaf just for yourself right I mean you're going to bake a couple of loaves at, at least and hopefully you're not going to eat all of it by yourself right you know when you bake you are going to share, I think, right? You know, you order a large pizza, I hope you don't eat that whole pizza by yourself, right? You do, okay, so Chandler's wife baked these scones, and you better run and get one after the service. Okay, you don't bake one scone, right? You do a whole batch of them, right? You don't do just one biscuit, one muffin. You share it. You put your love into it. You share the goodness you share the joy. So that's what we get down to. Who do I share my bread with? Who's my new best friend? <laughs> Who's my buddy, right? Who gets bread? Who doesn't get bread? Huh? Who do I share my joy and goodness and bread with? Huh? That's pretty much one of the main issues throughout the whole Bible. Who gets bread? Who doesn't? It's one of the issues of 2,000 years of church history. Who deserves and who doesn't deserve? Right? And it's pretty much the story that was read to you from the Bible. Jesus walks up to this man, Levi. Follow me, Jesus says. And he leaves everything and follows him, which just that alone is pretty amazing. But what's even more amazing is that Levi is a terrible person. He's a Jew, but he's a traitor to his own 
people. He's working for the Romans, a pagan army of occupation. He's helping them to extort money, basically, from the Jews. He's a tax collector, but in that economy, in that culture, that basically meant legalized mafia. Okay? And so Levi is the last guy you want to see. He's the last guy you want to know. Because he has the power and the authority to just take your money away from you. I can imagine that he got spit on fairly regularly. And Jesus wants him? 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 Then the story gets crazier. Levi throws a big party for Jesus and invites all his friends from low-down places. Right? Okay. And so... This rightly upsets the religious eager beavers, right? It upsets the ones who feel like it's their job to tell you who's on the right side, who's on the left side. It's their job to tell you whether you're good or bad and who else is good or bad, otherwise known as network news commentators. <laughs> uh, Pharisees, Pharisees. There we go. I got it. Huh? Well, isn't the world always trying to make sure we know who's good and who's bad, who's right, who's wrong? Huh? Now notice what their exact criticism is. It's not that Jesus talked to this bad guy. It's not that he tried to evangelize him. It's not that he preached to him. It's that he ate with him and his low-down friends. So what's so bad? Why are they so upset that he ate with them? Well, here's how it works, right? Someone invites you over to what is their safest, most holiest place, the inside of their house. They invite you over. You sit at their table. You put a napkin in your lap. Um, you pass the bread, please. Can I have some more gravy, please? Do you want some green beans? And then you have to talk to them, right? You have to be nice, don't you? Right? You have to be nice because they've spent money on you. They've uh, spent time and effort on you. You must be somewhat important to them that they would do that, that they would share with you. It's kind of a time of vulnerability, too, as you wipe the food off your chin or maybe you spill something on their tablecloth. And it looks like in some intuitive way they are blessing you. And they invited you because maybe they see you as a blessing to them. Oscar Wilde once said that after a really good meal, you can forgive almost anyone, even members of your own family. Uh, so normally, I mean, just in normal behavior, human behavior, you wouldn't go and eat with people you hate, would you? You wouldn't invite someone over that you think is just absolutely dead wrong, right? So I, I think that's their concern, that somehow they see this as Jesus condoning what they do, that somehow Jesus is soft on sin, that somehow he doesn't care enough about how really bad they are and the bad things they do. And you have to be careful, right? Probably you were growing up, probably, <coughs> excuse me, probably um, 
your parents, uh, mine did, my parents, especially my mother, very concerned about who I hung out with. You gotta hang out with the right people, not the wrong people. If you hang out with bad people, you'll end up doing bad things. Um, I argued with her a lot because I, I knew these kids in a way she didn't. And it didn't seem right or fair, but I did understand her concern. The Pharisees, you start hanging out with people who worship idols, sooner or later you're going to end up worshiping, worshiping idols. That's the Old Testament story. So, so, right? Weren't those legitimate concerns? So here's the trouble with sorting out who's good and who's bad, okay? Um, I think I've told this story before. Uh, my mother passed away back in 07. And so as Christmas was approaching, we knew it was going to be not easy. And so my sister and I decided um, that we were going to do this big family cruise in the Caribbean. And uh, nieces, nephews, everybody, somehow that would help. It didn't really. But um, so we go on this cruise and we docked down in Mexico. And I went and bought some Cuban cigars for a friend of mine. Okay? It really was for a friend. And, and at that time, it was still highly illegal to bring anything that's uh, from Cuba into the United States. And so we come back and we're going through customs. And a lady says, uh, do you have any tobacco products to declare? And I looked at her and I said, no. And my wife and my three children and I thought, I'm a liar. I'm a sinner before God in front of my wife and children, right? The trouble with sorting out who's good and bad is we're all capable of bad. We're all capable of anger, resentment, hatred, just to name a few. Levi does not deserve Jesus' bread, but none of us do at certain times, do we? We all fall short of the grace of God. Jesus is not soft on sin. He actually calls Levi sick. <laughs> he calls him a sinner. What Jesus offers Levi is not so much blanket acceptance. What he offers is an opportunity for transformation. What Jesus seems to be able to do in everyone he encounters, including the worst of the worst like Levi, is he still sees through all the bad and underneath still sees the God-given worth of Levi that this guy is still a child of God, that this guy still is capable of finding once again the value and worth that God gave to him. And indeed, Levi becomes Matthew, and Jesus makes a saint out of him, and he writes one of the Gospels. John Wesley who started the Methodist movement, lived in a time when there was a lot of debate about who could get communion and who couldn't. Uh, they, would, they would issue tickets to people 
that we're qualified for communion or you have to confess first or you have to do this first and Wesley was fairly radical he said all you need is a desire you don't have to get good before you get it right all you need is a desire to be something better a desire to to find discover rediscover what God really intends for your life who gets bread well even me even you because we're here today out of our desire to be what God created us to be